This morning's text, we will be in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You may have seen in the news uh, in the last week, uh, a anniversary is coming up. Apollo 8 was uh, 50 years ago, Christmas Eve. How many of you remember Apollo 8? All right. Okay, we know who the... uh, uh, we know who the wise ones are in our bunch. The uh, uh, Apollo 8 is uh, popular or remembered for the Earthrise photo. The Apollo 8 was the first mission uh, where uh, there were a ma- there was a manned uh, spacecraft around the moon. It orbit- orbited the moon. It was the first uh, time that there were astronauts in space over Christmas. Uh, there was a live broadcast, and and during the live broadcast, they read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And each of the astronauts took turns reading the, uh, reading the story, uh, reading Genesis 1. There were almost a billion people watching that event. Fifty years ago tomorrow is the anniversary of that incredible event. You can Google it, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So if you haven't caught it, you should look into it. It's really amazing. It was the first time that anyone had seen the dark side of the moon. It was the first time that they saw what's called the earth rise, where they, as they were coming over the moon, the earth was rising in what we would like think of like the sunset, they saw the earth rising up. It is the, one of the most incredible sights you would ever see. The story of Christmas is the story of humankind seeing for the first time the invisible God. Yeah, he made some pop-down sightings, you know. There are these sort of Jesus uh, bombings uh, in a sense of, uh, boom, a flash of lightning here and a cloud of smoke there and a burning bush there. But these were just, you know, drive-by goddings. And, but, uh, but Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And the incredible thing is, is, after, is what happens after Jesus. The three years of his ministry, he's laying the foundation and he's planting the seeds and he's, he's getting his followers and he's, he's getting things going. But what happens after? After the Spirit comes, after, the, uh, after Pentecost, when the church starts to take form and take shape and it starts spreading, they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus and what does it mean for us as a people? And the book of Colossians captures how Christians were trying to understand and communicate Christ in simple, concrete ways. And saying, when we talk about Jesus, what are we talking about? Who is he? What difference did he make? How do we live in light of who Jesus is? And in Colossians 1.15, we start getting a picture of how do we live in light of the majesty of Jesus for the first time we see something that no one has ever seen before. God in flesh. Let's read Colossians 
For the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed, and every creature under heaven and, uh, under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. No one has ever seen God like this before. We have Jesus Christ with us. This is Emmanuel. This is the story of Christmas in a nutshell. God comes down and he takes on flesh and he takes on all human kindness. And God fills him and dwells in him completely. I love how John, uh, John's gospel brings this to light in the uh, in the beginning was the word the word was god the word was with god and in john 14 we see that this word takes on flesh and it's jesus christ and we see that this is light into the darkness and and we see jesus as the light and, uh, and the hope the question that i have though is how does jesus reveal who god is we start seeing jesus in a new and special way we see, God in, uh, we see God in all of his splendor and all of his glory in the person of Jesus Christ. We get to know the Father of all creation. And I think sometimes we hurry through Christmas. We know the story and we have such, such levels of understanding that Christmas is about Jesus. Wow, I know. I didn't know that. But have we paid attention to how Jesus has revealed who his Father is? When we pick up the New Testament and we start reading it, we spend time in the Gospels, are we picking up the Gospels with this sort of hunger to understand who the Father in heaven is? Because what he's doing is, is he's showing us who our Father in heaven is in special and beautiful ways. Every time we look at Jesus in the Gospels, we see Jesus sort of spelling himself out for us in a language that we can understand, in a language that we not only hear, but that we also see. When you see Jesus healing a blind man in the scriptures, or you see him healing someone who is paralyzed, we are also seeing a healing God, a healing God who wants to heal all of his creation and his brokenness. He wants to heal us from all of the destructiveness of sin. When we see Jesus healing the blind men and healing the lepers, we see 
we see a compassionate father wanting to heal his creation. When you see Jesus weeping with families over tragedy, crying at the death of his friend Lazarus, you are seeing a compassionate God who mourns right alongside with us. We see a God who is compassionate and who is weeping right with us. We see that there are tears of heaven in the weeping of Christ. God is compassionate towards us. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. When there uh, is repentance, there is rejoicing in heaven. When there is brokenness and tragedy, there are tears of a compassionate Father. When you see Jesus teaching in a crowd, teaching about righteousness and justice and peace and forgiveness and love, we are seeing a God who is full of truth and love and mercy and justice. You are seeing the culmination of a compassionate, truthful, loving, healing God when we see Jesus Christ on the cross. We see God in an entire new light. We see Jesus raised from the dead. And when we do, when we see him touching the hands of his disciples and sharing with the meal with them around the campfire, we see a loving, forgiving, gracious, compassionate God who wants to heal his creation. When we see Jesus walking among his disciples, when we see him walking among the earth, we are seeing a picture of our Heavenly Father. Jesus is the only one who knows him, and he's helping us see who he truly is. Do you have the full weight of that in your perception of Christmas? Do you take this moment to realize that God sent his son so that we might know who, his father, who our father truly is? You see, he's on this mission to adopt us and save us and redeem us, forgive us of our sins, bring us to be a part of his family. And that's a gift for each and every single one of us. And we need to treasure up that gift of new life and hope. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God in flesh. Jesus is also our strength. In verse 16 it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's one of those sentences that you can just sort of cruise right on by. And I would suggest that we don't but really reflect on who is the one who holds all things together. Now, that's an easy statement to understand when life is cozy. The bank account has money in it, and you can pay your bills. And life is pretty good when everybody's healthy, and that's all wonderful. But when it says that in, in him all things hold together do we really resonate with that message that jesus is holding all of these things together even when it doesn't feel like it you see jesus is holding in balance new creation and old creation jesus holds together our brokenness 
and our healing. Jesus holds together our sinfulness and our forgiveness. Jesus holds together our obedience and disobedience. Jesus holds together the life that he is calling us towards and the life we're trying to leave behind. Jesus holds together all of creation. He holds together the nations. He holds together our leaders. He holds together our governments. He holds together um, our roads, aside from a few potholes. God holds together all things. All things. And when I reflect on it, and I pause, and I think, do I really live as though... I can trust that Jesus holds all things together. I suggest that we pause on it because I think that it will help us in our discipleship. Because I can say all things are held together by Jesus Christ, and when I say that, I'm declaring Him to be King of creation, Lord of everything. And then when November rolls around every couple of years, I can think Jesus... We need to get the right guy in this right spot because I don't think you're doing a good enough job. And when things sort of, the bottom sort of falls out on the economy and our live livelihood seems to be at risk, we don't always necessarily think Jesus is holding everything together. What do the scriptures say? And what do we believe and where do we put our trust? And so my encouragement is to say that Jesus is our strength. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and Jesus is our strength. He's our strength in good times and bad. He's our strength when, uh, when we don't know what's going on and our life seems to be difficult and in shambles. Jesus is still our strength. Jesus is our strength in good times and bad times. Always, he is holding all things together. And so that informs the church to say, we ought to be a people that live in the strength of Christ, who live in the trust and knowledge of knowing that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, and he is our strength who holds all things together. Jesus is our strength. Jesus, uh, we are also told, is the sort of head of the church and the firstborn from the dead. He is, in verse 18, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now the word head there can mean two things. It can mean source or it can mean authority. And I think Jesus is both. Jesus is the source of the church. Without him, there is no church. That's obvious. And without him, there is no authority. He is the authority over all of the church. Jesus being the head means that he is the source of our life. He is the firstborn of, all, of, of the new creation. And all who follow him will, uh, will be following after the firstborn of, of new life in Christ. We have in Jesus being the head of the church, we have him as our full authority and the one that we trust in. If we don't have that view of Christ as being the head of the church, then we don't have discipleship. 
says then also that Jesus is our peace. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is our peace. He reconciles us to God. He is the forgiver of our sins. Jesus is our peace in times of sorrow, when we're weighed down by the guilt of our sin, as we endure criticism and persecution from a lost and broken world. Jesus is our peace because he's reconciling the world back to God. Our sins are no longer held against us. And Jesus, friends, is our hope. Once we were alienated from God, and we were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's this gospel, this good news about who Jesus Christ is, the image of the invisible God, the one who reigns supreme over all things, who holds all things together. It's this gospel that is our hope, and it's our unwavering hope that we hang on to. It's our strength, it's our comfort, it's our peace, knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Paul says, this is the gospel that you heard. It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And for Paul, he became a servant of this gospel. When I think about what is our response to the supremacy of Christ, the response to the supremacy of Christ is for him to reign supreme in our lives. And to do that, to say that Jesus is number one, to say that Jesus is the takes first place in our hearts and our minds, is to say the same thing that Paul says. I am a servant of this gospel. His waking breath and his thoughts on his heart and mind when he would go to sleep we're always on the gospel of Christ. One who was his strength, who was his hope, who was his peace. His life mission was to announce that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is hope and salvation for all people, that no matter who you are and where you're from, that there is hope and salvation in Christ. That thought... That gospel, that hope, was the message that stayed on Paul's heart his entire life that he might endure persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ. He says, I'm a servant of this gospel. And so here's the challenge. Are you a servant of that gospel? I love watching the show West Wing. Wendy and I are on our third trip through. 
There's no good television on, so we just watch the same show over and over again. We'll get a life one day. But there's a common line when the president asks them to do something, or maybe they aren't fully on board with it. But they're going to do it anyways because they always say at the end of it, I serve at the pleasure of the president. I think what Paul is saying is I serve at the pleasure of King Jesus and his gospel. And we have to arrive at, as Christians, a point where we start saying over and over again, there might be things we don't want to do, there might be difficult circumstances, there might be whatever going on in your life. Our response needs to be, always and forever, we serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. And I think the way that we do that, as we look at this, and we, we look at our lives and we start wondering, how am I reflecting what this text is teaching me about Christ and His Lordship and all who He is? Do we conduct ourselves as Christians so that people might see that Jesus truly is our peace? In the circumstances in our life and whatever in the ups and downs and the heartache and suffering, do people see a sense of peace in knowing that Jesus is our Lord and that He's our King? When we go through hard times, it's an opportunity for us to point to the where our peace and our hope is. And so when we are servants of Christ, we can say Jesus is our peace. When people are going through a hard and difficult time, we have the amazing opportunity to say, I have peace in knowing that I'm saved and loved and redeemed by Christ. And you can share in that peace too. We can say to people who have lived hard and difficult lives, we can say, there is forgiveness for you, and there can be peace between you and God. You don't have to run from God anymore because Christ is Lord and King, and He loves you, and He's come, and He wants to save you and forgive you. We can have that peace in our lives, and we can share that peace with others. We can show in our walk every day that Jesus is our strength, and knowing that no matter what's going on, we can trust and rely on Him and His goodness and His love for us. That when we're falling apart, we can trust that He's the one that holds all things together, that He's holding me together and He's holding you together. We can trust and know that when people are hurting and suffering, that there is one who wants to hold them still together, and we need to point people to that hope. Because Jesus is the Son of the living God. And He's our Lord and He's our Savior. And we don't do this out of a sense of guilt. We do it out of a sense of joy and service. And we, when we do these things, when we say these words, when we live this out, we serve at the pleasure of King Jesus. Will you serve Him? Will you seek Him? Will you treasure and ponder these things in your heart that you might point people to the hope, joy, and salvation that's found in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we serve at the pleasure of our King Jesus, and we hope, God, 
that as the world looks to us, they would see what we are becoming. That you would renew us in your image. In our love for one another and our love for you. In our compassion, God, may they see your compassion. In our mercy and forgiveness, may they see your mercy and forgiveness. In our kindness towards one another, let them see your kindness towards all of your creation. We want to serve you and do so joyfully and filled with hope and peace and strength. Renew your people and let us be the image bearers of your Son in your creation. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, I just want to encourage each of us to reflect on God in flesh. And he sent out his church. He sent out his people to carry his spirit and to be his blessing. Friends, that spirit goes with you. That peace and that hope and that joy go with you.